So today we're going to continue on in our study through the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. We uh, finished up chapter 1 the last time we were together. So today we will begin to take a look at chapter 2. But before we jump on into chapter 2, let's go back and look at chapter 1, and then we'll read our way on into chapter 2. So Revelation chapter 1, and let's start reading down in verse 9. Revelation 1, 9. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see right in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now, starting with our verses for today, chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, as we begin to study here what Jesus has to say to these seven churches to whom through John he writes, we will see that in most cases he will be described to them, in other words, to each one of these churches, in a way similar as to how we saw him described back in chapter 1. For example, if you look back at chapter 1 again, verses 12 and 13, 
you will see that when the Apostle John turned around in this vision to see who it was that spoke with him, starting in verse 12 of chapter 1, it says that he saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Then, down in verse 16 of chapter 1, speaking of Jesus, it says, He had in his right hand seven stars. So, as Jesus now addresses the church in Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 1, he describes himself as he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And again, as we go to the next church and we see what Jesus wrote into the next church, it kind of all refers back to chapter 1, how he was described there in one way, shape, or form for the most part. Okay, And then verse 2 here says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. So this is a church, right? The church in Ephesus that is that seems to be a, a, a church that you would say has you know, it's on top of its game, right? In other words, they seem to have all their I's dotted and their T's crossed. They were doing very well. They were doing all the things that they should be doing as a church, a, a gathering of believers. They didn't allow evil in their midst. If sin arose amongst them, they probably dealt with that sin swiftly, okay? They didn't allow... Um, any type of sin within our midst, and Jesus is commending them here for that, okay? So, and we need, to, we need to learn from this as well, that we need to deal swiftly with sin in our lives when it arises, right? This should be the way we deal with sin as a body of believers, but also as individuals, okay? We must not let sin take root in our lives, do not bear with evil. Do not turn a blind eye. Do not make the mistake of sweeping sin under the rug of your life and just covering up because it always has, you know, it'll always come back and bite you. Whatever you sweep under the rug, you'll someday trip on, okay? So we need to deal swiftly with sin, okay? And that's what a church and what a body of believers should do. But again, it's also what we must do as individuals as well in our own life. But notice there also in verse 2 that Jesus paid attention to their works and to their labor. Jesus tells them that he knows all about that, right? You see, our good works and our labor do matter in the eyes of our God and Savior. Now, we've talked about this topic before and we've gone, as we have gone through the New Testament, but since Jesus brings up works here to the Ephesians, right, let's expound on this a little more. I want you to mark this page and let's turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Okay, it's back to the right from where you are in Revelation. All the books that begin with the letter T are all together. So if you find Timothy or Titus or one of them, you're going to find First and Second Thessalonians there as well. Pretty close by. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Again, we're expounding on the fact that 
Jesus, in his letter to the church of Ephesus here, he says he knows their labor. He knows their works. He pays attention to it, okay? And works are, our works are important. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. So here we see that their works and our works are actually in the sight of our God and Father. In other words, he sees what we do. So the Apostle Paul here wrote to the believers in the city of Thessalonica, and he commends them here for their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the things that Jesus commended the believers in Ephesus for as well. And all throughout the New Testament, we're constantly exhorted to press on, to stay the course, to fight the fight of faith, right? No one said it would be easy, okay? We've got to press on, though. Now, in our day and age, right, somehow it seems that somewhere in time, works and laboring for the Lord has gotten pushed to the side in mainstream American Christianity. Now, I'm not saying that there are not Christian churches doing good works, but it does seem that at least here in America, on United States soil, the works of Christians has diminished greatly. There are a whole bunch of people that drive to church on Sunday and then they drive back home and that is the extent of their Christianity. But that can't be the case for us, okay? Now, I personally believe that a false teaching of grace has led many professing believers to become lazy, to become complacent, to become lethargic in their faith when it comes to working for the Lord and laboring for our Lord Jesus Christ. People seem to have the attitude that since works don't, don't matter, why should I do them? Okay? I'm just going to sit back and wait for the rapture. A lot of Christians seem to have that attitude. Now, of course, we know that grace itself is a central doctrine of the Bible. We are saved because of God's grace, no doubt. But a false teaching of grace is one that teaches us that we are saved no matter what we do, or we are saved whether we do anything at all. But this is not what grace teaches us. How do I know that? How do I know that this is not what grace teaches us? Because the scripture tells us what grace teaches us. Okay, so let's turn to Titus chapter 2, the book of Titus chapter 2. Starting in verse 11, Titus 2.11, it says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous 
for good works. Now, let's go through those verses again and pay very close attention to what these verses are telling us here. Okay, first of all, back in verse 11, it says that the grace of God that brings salvation. Okay, so now keep in mind here, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the grace that brings salvation, the grace that has saved us. It says the grace of of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So how many people does God offer his grace to? A select few? A certain amount? No, it says the grace of God has appeared to all men, all people, right? And what does that grace do? Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. So stop right there. We are to deny ungodliness and lust. Remember, this is what Jesus commended the church in Ephesus for back in Revelation chapter 2. They did not bear with evil. They didn't put up with it. They did not welcome sin in their midst. Okay? So as Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus, he's writing to us as well and telling us how we should live. Okay? So they didn't welcome sin in their midst. So, so the grace that brought us salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly, and worldly lust that we should do, right? Verse 12 continues, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when are we to live soberly, righteously, and godly? When does it say we are to live it? Now, in this present age, right? In this present time. Why? Because verse 13 says that we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, we're not, our eyes aren't fixed on this present time. Our eyes are fixed on what is to come, what, what, what you know, lies in store for us, that we're going to go to be with Jesus for all eternity. And we live this life as if, like the Bible says, we're just sojourners. We're just passing through. Right In verse 14, speaking of Jesus says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for what? For good works. So you see, grace and works are synonymous. They go hand in hand. If you've been saved by grace, then you will be a person that is zealous for good works, as it says there at the end of 14, verse 14. Grace does not cancel out the necessity for good works. On the contrary, grace teaches us that we need to do good works. So as we look back at Revelation chapter 2, let's turn back there, Revelation chapter 2. Again, Jesus says to them in verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. Now, as we see the word works and the word labor there in verse 2, what is the difference between work and labor from a biblical standpoint? Well, in the Greek language, which of course the New Testament was originally written in, the word for works is the word ergon. Okay, Ergon means pleasant 
and stimulating. Pleasant and stimulating. The Greek word for labor, on the other hand, is the word kapos, and it means strenuous and sweat producing. So we have works, right, which are pleasant and stimulating, and we have labor, which is strenuous and sweat producing. So there is in this context a difference between work and labor. Again, work is pleasant and stimulating. Labor is strenuous and sweat producing. So the Thessalonians that Paul wrote to, that we read, right, and the believers in Ephesus that Jesus writes to here in Revelation, they did both works and they labored. They worked for the Lord in a way that was pleasant and stimulating, right? And this we can do today by reaching out and helping others who are in need. That is a work, right? But it's also pleasant and stimulating to us. How many times have you heard people say, you know, I volunteered and and I did this, and I think I was more blessed than the people I blessed, right? That's a work that is pleasant and stimulating. So we reach out to others, be it the poor, be it reaching out to people that are going through difficult times in their lives, helping a brother and sister in Christ through difficult financial times, whatever it may be, right? We can support the work of the furtherance of the gospel, of the teaching of God's word. These are kinds of works that are pleasant and stimulating. And we, as followers of Christ, we should be doing these kinds of works. But there are other things that we are to do which are considered strenuous and sweat-producing, right? For one, right, to go out and to preach the gospel, to share Jesus Christ with someone else, this can be strenuous and sweat-producing, right? Because you're like, oh, what do I say to this person? Oh, they're going to think I'm a freak and, you know, ah, oh, you know, oh, whatever it might be. But this kind of work is strenuous and sweat producing. And especially for the early believers and those in the church in Ephesus that we're reading about and all of these churches, they were heavily persecuted just for being Christians. Okay, We don't get much of that nowadays. A lot, a lot of reason is because we shut up. We don't say anything about Jesus, which we, should, we shouldn't do, right? We should step up and begin to share the love of Jesus. And this becomes labor, right? It becomes hard. If you step up today and you live out your faith, if you keep your faith in Jesus Christ out in the open for everyone to see, this will cause some conflict in your life from time to time. You might have friends or family members that separate from you a little bit because just simply because you've come to Jesus Christ, right? But you see, sometimes we do have to come out of our cushy little world and we have to reach out to others with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And this might make you sweat. And it might cause you to be persecuted as well. And sometimes, too, laboring for the Lord means that you're actually literally sweating, right? And you're, you're getting dirty. Maybe there's a shut-in or a neighbor or someone that needs some work done around their house, right? And you can bless someone and go take care of their landscape and keep an eye on the, the needs of you know, people around you and what you might be able to do physically for them, right? And we've seen a couple of times in our study through the New Testament, though, that our works do matter. God pays attention to them, right? You can't earn your salvation through works. That is simply a free gift that has been offered. Remember it said, 
that the grace of God has appeared to all men. God's offered that grace to everybody. It's a free gift. It's unmerited favor. You can't work your way to earn God's grace. But once you are saved, you are to both work and to labor. Do that which is pleasant and stimulating for the name of the Lord and do that which is strenuous and hard for the name of the Lord. And this is what the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to do, okay? And this takes diligence. Like I said earlier, no one said it was easy to live the life as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if anyone did tell you that, they lied to you. It's not easy to walk by faith. It's far easier to go with the rest of the flow of the world. It's far easier just to live like everyone else because then you're flowing down the same stream as, as they are. But when you stand up and you begin to turn against the stream, then it becomes hard. So it takes diligence to live the life of faith in Jesus Christ. And many people just give up and just go back into living in the way of the world, right? Now, before we move on uh, into verse 3, I just want to quickly address something else that there in verse 2, right? Jesus also commended this church for testing. Are we back in, did I have you go back to Revelation? We all there? Okay. Uh, Jesus wanted to commend, commend this church for testing those who say they are apostles and are not. You see, there are some liars out there today behind the pulpit, okay, that stand up in churches, that stand up in front of groups of people, and they're lying. And you and me, as disciples of Jesus, we can't just sit back and accept everything that people say to us, right? We must test them no matter how big their smile or no matter how pretty their clothes, we've got to test people that stand up and teach the Word of God or preach, do whatever, right? Because there are people that are perverting the truth of the Word of God today for their own gain, to get what they want so that they can become wealthy and such, right? These people are liars. And as I've done in the past, I encourage you to put to the test Whatever you hear from a Bible teacher, including myself, put it to the test. Study the Word of God yourself. Again, I try to do all I can to make sure you're reading along with me so you see what's there. But you need to put everything that you hear to the test, okay? So as you can see, again, it takes diligence. Jesus wants you to be diligent in your walk as his disciple. It takes perseverance to live the life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And in verse 3 here, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You see, as we persevere, as we labor for the name of the Lord, there are times when we can become weary from the work. I know I do. I become weary from the work, but I do not become weary of the work. 
I become weary from the work, but not of the work. And that's a diff- there's a difference there, right? Serving the Lord by teaching His Word or loving people or reaching out to the people that He places in front of me. This is the work that I want to do for the rest of my life. These things for me are a labor of love. Uh, I do get weary in the work, but not of the work, okay? And, and we all need to labor in that way. Now, you may not be a teacher of the Bible. You may not be a pastor to others. But each one of us has a place within the body of Christ. And each one of us has, a, has an influence on people that I will never come in contact with. As you go off to your jobs and as you go off to whatever your daily lives are, you'll run into people that you can influence, that you can point to Jesus Christ that will never listen to me that will never hear a word that I say. So each one of us has a works, has things we can do in the body of Christ, okay? Now I want you to mark this page again and turn to the book of Romans chapter five. Back toward the front of the New Testament there. Romans chapter five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. So even though, right, we've been justified, even though we have peace with God now through Jesus Christ, and even though we can rejoice and we can have hope in God, tribulation still exists. Troubled times still come for us. The believers that Jesus wrote to in Ephesus had great tribulation, and he commended them for persevering and for their patience. You see, as verse 3 here says, tribulation produces perseverance in us. But as the church in Ephesus did, we must continue to work. We must continue to labor and continue to persevere for the name of the Lord. And verse 4 here in Romans 5 tells us what perseverance produces. It says in perseverance, character and character hope now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us so you see again I'll say that we can grow weary in the work but we must not grow weary of the work okay we have a hope and a future in Jesus Christ and we must continue in the love of Christ meaning we must live out his love in our daily lives, through the things that we do for His name's sake. And as we flip back to Revelation chapter 2,
Jesus now tells the believers of the church in Ephesus, right, in verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So, even though these believers in the church in Ephesus had continued in many good works, and even though they were doing all the things that they should have been doing, Jesus still pointed out to them the fact that there was something missing. You see, love has to be at the root of the works that we do. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13.3 stated that, even, he said, even if I gave all that I had to feed the poor, and even if I gave my body to be burned, but I, did, but I didn't have love, he said, he said it would profit me nothing. Think about that. If you gave all that you had to feed the poor, and you sacrificed your body for the Lord Jesus Christ, but you didn't have love, then the things that you did really wouldn't matter all that much. Because God wants us to be a people of His love. He wants us to reach out in love and live in His love. Now I know we just got back to Revelation here, but let's turn for a moment to uh, 1 John chapter 4. It's just a few pages back to the left. Just a few pages. 1 John chapter 4. First John 4, and uh, let's start reading in verse 15. First John 4, 15. It says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Okay, so what we're talking about here is a believer in Jesus Christ. Someone that has been born again, and God abides in them. Okay? And they abide in God. So this is someone that's fully immersed, totally committed to God. Then verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So we see here in verse 16 a qualifying statement to verse 15. The person that has confessed faith in the Son of God is also a person that abides in the love of God. A tree is known by its fruit, Jesus said. Okay? So a person that has confessed faith in the Son of God is also a person that abides in the love of God. Okay? You see, since God abides in us, right, as verse 15 says, and God is love as verse 16 says, then a born-again person is a person that is abiding in love. Love is at the root of what they do. Why? Because God, who is love, indwells us. Okay? So then as we jump down to verse 19 here, it says that we love Him because He first loved us. So God is the initiator of love, and we are the responders to that love. We love God in return, and the way that we show our love for God 
is by the works that we do, the things that we do, the way that we live our lives. That's how we show that we love God. So let's go ahead back to Revelation chapter 2. You see, this love from God that now indwells us when you've given your life to Jesus Christ, that love because God indwells you, this love that now indwells us, it, it leads us to do works from a heart of love. And works, again, if not motivated by love, can be nothing more than religion, nothing more than an obligation, right? And there's nothing else behind it. And again, the church in Ephesus, they were doing good things, and Jesus commended them for it. But Jesus, who knows our hearts, also knows the motivation behind our works. So he tells these believers that they have left their first love. Now, I'll give you a couple examples of what it looks like to leave the place of your first love. Now, in my years of serving Jesus Christ, I have seen people come to, to the Lord through a trial or some sort of bad time happens in their lives. And they, they come to the Lord, right? Something has happened to them or to a family member and their life is shattered by it. And then they, they all of a sudden have this passion to draw close to the Lord, right? Then as the storm blows over, right, they, their love begins to wane at that point. They begin to drift away from that place where they were when they first called out to the Lord. I've seen this happen many, and, many a times. Penny and I have always been the 911 call for emotional and spiritual trauma. And we have been blessed by God to be able to be there for people in their time of need. And we love this calling in our lives. We love to do it. And people are so appreciative of this. And some have expressed that they want to serve the Lord in any way they can from that point on. But then the pain wears off. And again, the storm blows over. And then some have gone right back to being the captain of their own ship. Now that the pain's gone, now that the storm has calmed down, I can take my eyes off the Lord and put my eyes back on myself again, right? They may continue in good works, church attendance and such, but the love that they had for the Lord when the storm hit, that passion that they wanted to draw near to the Lord, it kind of wears off. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus is addressing here. He's saying, I've got this against you. You're doing good works. You're doing all these things. But love matters. That passion, that love that you had for me and that you have for other people, you need to get back to that. But another example of this, you know, is of, of leaving our first love, that is, is to think of a, a believer that becomes complacent and comfortable over time. They may even serve in the ministry. They may be readily available to do whatever is needed. But again, this person is missing love. Their works become just an obligation, just a religion, and the love is gone, right? And if we find ourselves in that place, what is it that Jesus wants us to do about it? Well, he says here in verse 5, remember 
therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So do the things that you used to do when you first drew near to the Lord. The things that you did that were motivated by your love for the Lord and His love for you. You know, one of the first things that happens in a person that is born again is they often have that desire to tell others what the Lord's doing in their lives. And they begin to share it, okay? They begin to witness to people, right? They come to know God's love in their heart, and that love causes them to look at the world differently all of a sudden. And they realize that what they have found, everyone needs, and they want to share it. Because they're excited about what the Lord is doing in their lives. God's love causes us to care for the souls of others. And there are, others example, there are other examples of what happens in the life of a, a born-again person. But Jesus wants us to remain in that place of our first love. He never wants us to walk away from that. He wants us to keep loving Him right like we do when we first came to know Him. And He tells this church in Ephesus... And he tells all of us as well as we study the word to repent and to return to that place of our first love, to not leave it in the first place, right? You see, I can't look into your lives and and give specific examples of what you used to do when you first came to the knowledge of the Lord because only you know what it was like when you first came to Jesus, when that fire started in your heart and you were made new. What did you do? How did it change you and how did you live out that change in your life? Jesus doesn't want us to leave that place again, right? He wants us to work for him out of a heart of love. And I would encourage you to spend some time thinking about where you are now as opposed to where you were when you first came to the Lord. Have you drifted? Have you become complacent? Does God matter at all in your life, right? If so, then God is calling you to repent. And repent just means you turn. You just go back the way you know you should be going, right? Others of you are just beginning your journey with the Lord. And it's important to remember these things that God is now doing in your hearts, right? But you see, there are consequences for not repenting. There are consequences for not turning back to the place of your first love. In the case of the church of Ephesus, Jesus said that if they didn't repent of this, that he would remove their lampstand from its place. This just means that they would cease to exist as a church. Because if you go back and you look in Revelation chapter 1 and we stay in the context here, we see that those seven lampstands represented the seven churches. And Jesus said, I'll remove that lampstand, right? They would cease to exist as a church. They would dry up and and die. And there are many dead churches in America today. Many professing believers that are dried up when it comes to working from a heart of love for the Lord. You know, I can't stand the thought that I would teach the Bible to people that do not want to live it. I'd rather not teach the Bible at all. I'd rather not teach the Bible at all if the Word of God doesn't you know, affect us in such a way that we want to live it. We want to 
We want to change ourselves. We want to change the world around us, right? It's real clear as Jesus writes to this particular church in Ephesus that he wants their works to continue, but he wants them to continue doing it from a heart of love. And of course, he wants the same thing for all of us as well. We'll stop here for today and we will pick it up in verse 6 next week. But let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your word, your living and active word, Lord. God, I pray that your word, which well, I know your word does not return void, but I pray that as we've heard your word today, that it would increase our faith. That, Lord, we would begin to, to live in a way that you desire for us to live. That we would live from a heart of love, Lord. That we would desire to work for you, to labor for you, to live this life for your glory, Lord, to surrender all to you. I pray, Lord, that you would begin this work in our hearts afresh today. Just a clean slate, Lord. Your mercy is new every morning. And may we begin now, Lord, to, to seek you, Lord. We thank you for a new day. We thank you for a new week. We pray your blessings upon the week to come and your will to be done in all things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.